Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Titans kicking game was a mess a season ago. Here's Goskowski on the way from 47 and no good. Wow. No good. That was blocked. Somebody got a piece of that. Two yard attempt. He's missed one, had one block and no good. Watch that out on the field and Vic Fangio's defense gives up an easy one. A bit of a low snap there. And he missed it from 25 on the way and splits the uprights like he's been doing it all night. Love to see it, though. By no one's demand but our own from our home office here in beautiful, sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Two Rivers Ford. Brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Victory Tuesday for you Titans fans out there in the audience. A heart, heart-wrenching, absolutely gut-checking 16-14 victory in the Week 1 opener. Monday Night Football Week 1 finale for these Tennessee Titans. It was a roller coaster, to say the least. And we're going to talk about it at great length today. We've got Teresa Walker from the Associated Press, Luke Worsham making his debut, my fellow Titans writer from A to Z SportsNashville.com. We're going to talk about, obviously, the kicking situation with Steven Gostowski, positives and negatives to be taken from an actual football game that we were able to analyze. And we got some week one overreactions to address as well. Uh, We have also something that feels like it was 10 years ago as the time that we are taping this podcast. Isaiah Wilson, the first round pick for the Tennessee Titans, got a DUI over the weekend. I was able to break the news Saturday morning, so that will be the subject of five good minutes. We've got a lot of ground to cover today on the pod. You're going to hear from Corey Davis. You're going to hear from a variety of different actors that were all involved over the course of the football weekend. Before we do any of that, though, I've got to tell you about the fine folks who present this podcast each and every episode. That's our friends at Two Rivers Ford. They have, at Two Rivers Ford, what they've dubbed the Amazon experience. Now, everybody knows how Amazon works at this point. Certainly my girlfriend. It's like Christmas Day every time you go to her apartment and there's just tiny little boxers or some of them not so tiny lined up in front of their door. But what the Amazon experience most amplifies is that it's making things easy, fast, and most importantly, convenient for you. That's what they've got out in Mount Juliet 
at Two Rivers Ford, just a little bit east of BNA. If you want to test drive a vehicle, you don't have to go into the dealership. They'll bring the vehicle to you. If you know what you want, you can save yourself all the hassle and you can go through the entire purchasing process online. It's all available at your fingertips. Let's face it, buying a car should be easy and fun. And most importantly, it should be convenient. That is what Two Rivers Ford offers to you and has been vibing with you in that way for almost 40 years. Two Rivers Ford, powered by Ford, driven by people. Let's get to Teresa and Luke. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast. Joining us now on the GetBeast.com Zoom line. Save yourself 20% off all of their great grooming products with promo code BEAST2020. Teresa Walker, stalwart around these parts, and certainly for Titans Media of the Associated Press, and debuting here on the 615 Sessions Podcast, I do believe the baby-faced assassin, Luke Worsham of A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Hello, friends. Hello, Buck. <laughs> you know, the baby face thing is a choice. Like, I can grow facial hair. I just decide not to. No, You're I, well from man, unlike Buck. I'm well groomed. You I, th- are, you I are. think I look, in fact, speaking, given that this, uh, this particular Zoom line is presented by the people who keep me looking so good, Teresa, we should not disparage how I look on the podcast. Otherwise, I would be a terrible endorser of such fine products as they have at GetBeast.com. I just remember from uh, the last time I was on with you, I remember you had just had your head shaved and (laughs) things were growing back. But yes, you're very well-groomed. And, you know, hey, all I know is that as a mother of a young college-age son, I'm highly endorsing of grooming. You're men now. Come on, look like it. And most of you look pretty good. Well, you know, we just, we just, and it's mostly about the smell. Like the smelling aspect of it is really, really what you got to get over the hump with. So, you know, these guys just got to smell better. That's why we have our friends at getbeast.com. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to, you know, Luke threw me off with the facial hair stuff because he does look like more of a, of a whole ass man when he has facial hair. But just, you know, I, th- I like the baby face assassin thing. I think it really bothers Rabel when we're at press conferences that you're so young and just sitting there twisting the knife a little bit from time to time. I really, really enjoy that aspect well, well, of well, it. If they, if all, all you have to do is play well and there will be no knife twisting. <laughs> so they didn't do that last night. They almost blew it. We actually have a football game to talk about. We have a lot to discuss. We're going to get to – we're going to do the good with the bad. We're going to talk about positives and negatives to result from the Titans' 16-14 to 14 opening win at Mile High Stadium against the Denver Broncos. Signs of progress, things that we have observed from previous iterations of this roster over the course of time. We're going to get the week one over reactions. I'm going to spend some time on the Isaiah Wilson thing because we haven't talked about that yet on the podcast, and that feels like it was 100 years ago at this point. But I guess, Teresa, we'll start with you. None of us, none of us were at the game, full disclosure. This is a weird year, covid Uh, notwithstanding. I am not traveling at this point. Very few of us did. So this was couch couch covering of the Tennessee Titans for the first time, at least for me in some time. Um, I guess, Teresa, what did you, what was your biggest observation from what went down yesterday, kicker notwithstanding? We'll get to that over the course of the program. 
I'll say this. The thing that struck me the most was that the, what we saw this team do with Ryan Tannehill as quarterback last year did carry over. He had three game-winning drives last year with the Titans, uh, Chargers, Bucks, Chiefs, and he starts off this season doing the same thing, and he hit his first five passes uh, to start that game-winning drive. So that's something that you know, this whole idea of it's a new year. Well, they do have 10 of 11 starters back. So we saw some continuity there. We saw Derrick Henry run for 100 yards. You know, it was the kind of grind them out game that we hadn't really seen from him. Usually there's a big run that he breaks off and helps pump him over that. He ground that out with 31 carries. So maybe not, if you're looking for big stats, ooh, the average per carry may not have been 4.5, but he would, they handed him the ball in two-minute drill. I mean, that is so incredible incredibly rare to do a toss sweep. Uh, that was very impressive to see them do. So that to me is the thing, you know, could this offense maybe, you know, pick up a little bit and carry on. I think we saw them take a step toward that. Uh, and, and then th that toughness, being able to have a game where things, so many things did go wrong. You lose Rashawn Evans at the end of the first quarter to an ejection. You, you know, the, the early penalties, uh, you know, so, Thank goodness Kevin Byard got his first fourth fumble of his career. But, you know, there was a lot of things that in previous times we would have seen this team maybe turtle and just say, oh, woe is me, it's not our night, especially considering what happened last year in Denver. Instead, they kept fighting. Byard punched that ball out. They get a touchdown. They, you know, they did the kind of things that we saw them do playing their way to the AFC championship game to see that in the opener tells me this team is at least ahead of where they started a year ago. Luke, you wrote about this for a to Z sports, Nashville.com. You, uh, you focused specifically on the penalties. The other takeaway, the other major storyline outside of the fact that they won um, kicker, notwithstanding, as we mentioned, what was your biggest observation or was it just that? I think my biggest observation was the, the best word for if someone were to ask me how the Titans played last night, I would say they won, but it was very clunky as they got there. Not from the very beginning, a lot of players on that team uh, did not look like we were used to seeing those players play. Kevin Byard struggled in coverage against Noah Fant. Rashawn Evans, who's usually a very mature leader, had a very out-of-character moment and threw a punch at at Broncos tight end Jake Butt after a play. Ryan Tannehill was sort of all over the place in his decision-making through a few near interceptions, one wiped out by penalty, some Denver couldn't get their hands on. Didn't see a whole lot of explosiveness from Derrick Henry. But like you were saying, Teresa, you know, they won the game, and that's what good teams do. You're not going to look perfect every week, certainly. They won the game. But this is how I ended my column after the game last night. It's – they have the talent and they have the coaching staff to keep winning games, but it needs to happen more convincingly in the future. And yeah, I know that, and we'll talk about Goskowski. if they had made more kicks, the, the score difference would have been a lot uh, more favorable for the Titans. Uh, but there was just a lot of things that they did not do well. The clock management was not good. I actually thought Arthur Smith had uh, some good moments throughout the game of scheming things up, but they got in such a rut of throwing shallow passes that it looked a little bit like, you know, the Mike Malarkey Titans where everything was just very congested and all in one place. Uh, so those are things to work on move, moving forward. And, and we heard that from Vrabel last night when I asked 
how much is there to clean up? He, first thing he said was a lot. And I asked Corey Davis the same question, and he said, we got in our own way too many times tonight. I mean, he said, you know, we won, but we've got to get back to looking like we know we can look. And I think that's the takeaway from this game. It's They're clearly a good team because good teams overcome the adversity they had to win games, uh, but they're nowhere near their ceiling, at least based on last night. Yeah, and the people will hear a little bit more from Corey Davis' postgame media Zoom, since that's the way that we're doing all of these things. Obviously, you had a big performance today, ultimately being able to get the victory there. What, how were you feeling as the game progressed? Did you kind of feel yourself getting into a rhythm with Tannehill? How did that all play out for you? Yeah, um, I mean, overall, um, you know, we were fighting all game long. We knew what we were getting into. It was going to be a dog fight. You know, they're a great team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, personally, I felt good going out there. Um, me and Tanner were clicking, and um, you know, I'm happy we got this W. Kyle? Yeah, Corey, when, when is the last time that you felt this good about the way you played, about this sort of uh, connected with your quarterback? Uh, and when did you know? I mean, you've had obviously a lot of injury-type issues of various kinds. Uh, when did you know you were a full go going into this opener? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been rough. It's been a long road. It's been highs, it's been lows, but um, man, I'm just happy that we uh we got this win. And like I said, man, it's been a long road, but um, we're a resilient team. And um, we came out here, we knew what we were getting into. And me personally, I was obviously I was battling, you know, a little hammy, but um, I was able to go out there, play fast, and you know, forget about everything else. And you know, I feel great. So later in the pod. I think that the thing the, the thing that struck me, again, outside of the kicker, we're, we're burying the lead right out of the gate here on the pod because the kicker is obviously, I mean, you cost him 10 points and it was an absolute disaster and Yang makes the one that wins it from 25 yards out. But uh, this, is, this is a situation where there were a lot of things to nitpick at. Now, I thought, to your point, Luke, about Bayard uh, looking a little rusty in coverage. I think that changed a lot in the second half. I think they made really, really good adjustments given the personnel that was available to them. Noah Dory Jackson placed on IR hours before the game yesterday as we taped this on Tuesday. Uh, Christian Fulton and Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson getting snaps over Christian Fulton was interesting after Jonathan Joseph was inserted in the lineup and then had an arm injury. I think the biggest thing, though, is they – they found – they got a little bit away over the course of the game, over the course of the four quarters that they played. They got a little bit away from what it was that made them so successful last year. And then they found their foothold again. I think that's as composed as I've seen them look in that final drive down the field to set up the 25-yard game-winning field goal. But Next Gen Stats had a really, really good analysis or piece of analysis about Ryan Tannehill taking advantage of separation that play action, play action creates for him and for that offense in the short to intermediate part of the field. Play action passes, he was 10 of 14, 92 yards and two touchdowns and an average target separation of 4.3 yards. These guys were running wide open on the play action plays for the Titans. Without it, he was 19 of 29 for 157 Average target separation, 2.6. Like, they got away from that play action, and they were doing those, that rut of shallow passes 
as you described, Luke, that kind of made it feel like they were stalling out. And you're, you're going to give them a little, a little benefit of the doubt, I think, in week one, given offseason, without the offseason, without the preseason, how much the starters actually participate in all of those things. But I think, I think the biggest part was you saw them win the game that they so often lose. Like, there are a lot of negatives to be taken away, and we will address, you know, causes for concern from each of us and, and things that we found to be beneficial for them. But they, I've seen, Teresa, I know you've seen them win, lose that game a million and one times. I've certainly seen it plenty, uh, and Luke has been watching this team for, I think, the majority of your existence. All of us have experienced that with them, maybe not as dramatic as three missed kicks uh, and an extra missed extra point from an all-pro kicker. All of it, though, they ended up winning the game. Last year, they lost this game last year against the Bills. Cairo Santos, you know, he had one blocked. He missed three. And, you know, the fourth time when Vrabel sends him out there, it was a 6.53 or something left in the game. And, you know, yes, they needed some points because you were going to need a field goal to win. And he missed it. So, you know, exactly. To me, that's where we can see that this team has grown. Now, Vrabel told us on Tuesday that they're going to, you know, let Goskowski kind of work through some of these things he's a career 87 percent field goal guy so the thought maybe maybe just taking off the sock uh will be the thing that helps him do this or a few more kicks this guy essentially they're going to trust him at least for another week that he can fix this and the titans will fix some things around him there was one time when bo brinkley had a little bit of a low snap brett kern got it up i thought in plenty of time shouldn't have been a problem but you know it no preseason games they've signed this guy on september 3rd uh, that's the thing, the mental toughness that this team now has that they did not have in the past. So uh, that's why I think that there is that, that is a measure of improvement because, like you said, we've seen them lose that game so often and not long ago. Should they cut him? No, not, not yet. Again, 87% career kicker, uh, you know, fifth highest or fifth ranked kicker in NFL history. Uh, you know, this is a pandemic year. And guess what? I'm thinking that they've got him out there with Craig Ackerman, and they're going to be watching him a lot closer this week. And we'll be watching him intently on Sunday from the press box. But you've got to give him another week in this strange year, because guess what? The kickers are already changing around the NFL like musical chairs. You've got a guy with a proven track record. Don't get rid of him this quickly. And Steven Guskowski is not uh, Cairo Santos, Cody Parkey, Ryan Santoso, Greg Joseph, these, this carousel that they went through last year of very young and you know, kickers who had failed in their previous spots. And that's why they uh, were on the market and the Titans had the opportunity to bring him in. This is just a guy who sort of aged out of what New England wanted, was an you know, injured player for most of last year, had the hip surgery that we all know about. And so I think you got to give him at least one more game to try to figure this out. Now, I think it's with a tight leash in that one game. I don't think you give him four chances if you bring him back out against Jacksonville on Sunday. Uh, But again, this is not the caliber of kicker. I mean, Vrabel said it himself. This is a guy who has had, you know, 87% kicking, has had a great NFL career for the Patriots. I think he deserves one more chance just because of his track record. Whereas Santos, you have to give him the boot last year because there is no track record. You know, Cody Park, you get rid of him when you think you have suck up back. You know, he has the track record, so he deserves another opportunity. 
And a kicker is only as good as his last kick, and his last kick was a game winner, chip shot though it may may be. And, mm-hmm. and you you mentioned his experience. Guys that have been around this long understand what they need to do usually after a miss. You know, we heard Guskowski talking about how he kind of sped things up, and then he takes the sock off before the final one. This is a guy who probably will be able to, with a few talks with Craig Ackerman, you know, talk, you know, a little work with Kern and Brinkley, get this, you know, should ideally get this ironed out. And here's somebody were saying to me on social media last night, well, remember, Belichick knows when a guy's done and lets him go. Well, well, didn't we think that about Adam Vinatieri and how long has he been kicking for the Colts? So, you know, take that with a huge uh, grain of sand. And, we're, you know, we have to wait and see what happens on Sunday. Teresa, you can't name the one guy who succeeded post-Belichick. Like, even Brady looked like hell. Well, you, the you Titans have had two of them over the last few years, Butler and Ryan. No, I, I understand. Well, that's mostly about money. That's not about the, the level of play that those two were able to offer. That's mostly that you know, they feel like they can find other guys for greater value. That's what's made the Patriots so successful for 20-plus years. But, I, I mean, your point is well taken. It's incredibly re- uh, reasoned and measured analysis from both of you. While I'm out here on Twitter yesterday screaming, fire everybody on the special teams unit, <laughs> send the kicker straight into the sun, for what he did to us at two in the morning. I mean, not us, but just, I mean, well, yeah, us. Because I had that game story written three different ways by the time that they they trotted down the field for that final drive to set up the 25-yard. I was over it, Teresa, last night. Done with it. See, this is where your inexperience, young man, comes into play. <laughs> Those of us who've covered the NFL for more than a, a couple of decades uh, kind of had a feeling that it was going to come down to Goskowski making a kick. And it was only perfect in that night that he made the kick. Did you see the next-gen stat that for him to have missed the first three kicks – with the block and the extra point, that the odds of that happening were, I mean, almost infinitesimal. I mean, it was like 0.06%, one in 1,804, that he would have those, the miss PAT and the block and the other two misses. So at a certain point, the odds were going to come back his way. And another reminder, that's why you have two different game stories ready on a game time situation, I'm just saying. And, and you have to look at it this way, too. I don't know that Stephen Goskowski, even after his horrendous performance on Monday night, is the most despised kicker by his team's fans in the NFL. I think uh, Randy Bullock might have that designation. What after a flop. What after an absolute flop. He was either, fa- either faking it or, or even if he did, give himself a cramp attempting to hit a chip shot field goal to win the game. I mean, that was – that was almost hysterical watching that happen. A baptism right. by Bengals. That's exactly how Joe Burrow's entrance into the league should <laughs> take place. The worst kick, uh, worst opening weekend in the NFL for kickers and made field goals since like 1982. It was that bad. I hate them all. I really do. It's a, it's a, it's a sport filled with gladiators, and it's decided by these tiny little men uh, on their foot. And, and really, uh, whether, whether the blocking is correct, whether the snap is correct, all of it, uh, it is probably the most irritating part of the sport for me. All right, we've, we've relegated the kicker conversation We can talk about more negatives and positives, and we will do that over the course of the program before we get to week one overreactions in general. There's a lot of football played, most of it good. Uh, In fact, the the vast majority good um, outside of how Broncos-Titans seem to start in the Steelers-Giants game before that wasn't particularly well played 
either. Let's start positive, though, before we neg them. Again, I'll lead off. We're going to do one positive from the Titans' performance last night, the thing that stood out the biggest and boldest to the three of us here on the 615 Sessions podcast. I don't think that I was as excited about anything as I was about Corey Davis. I think I am, I am, I am so prepared to be disappointed again, Teresa, in the way that this all plays out for him. I'm just I'm laying myself bare at the feet of Arthur Smith and the Tennessee Titans offense that this dude, as a former fifth overall pick, is absolutely capable, even when he's not 100%, which Vrabel never volunteers that kind of stuff to us, and last night on Monday night in the post-game Zoom, he said that Corey was less than 100%. I, I'm excited about the prospect of him within this offense. I think that in a perfect world, this is what it's supposed to look like when Derek starts slow or is slowed by a good defense, when A.J.'s not a game-breaker. A.J. Brown, of course, the Titans' presumptive number one wide receiver. When you have those two places that you cannot go – Corey Davis is an option that you should be able to rely on. And last night he did it in spades, 101 yards last night. I was fired up for him. Here's the thing to keep an eye on. Uh, it, is, it is great to have him playing like that, but you get A.J. Brown up to speed and involved in a game. And Adam Humphreys. We saw Johnny Smith catch balls last night. Ryan Tannehill was spreading that around. Uh, and, and when you've got that kind of distribution, it makes it tougher for defenses to game plan. Who are you taking out of this lineup? Who are you going to try to slow down? If you, if you focus on Brown, Davis can hurt you. And, and he reminded us of why they took him at number five overall. I think I'm, I'm probably going to keep it on a save get key and just say contract year Corey Davis because he had, you know, with them not picking up his fifth year option and he's healthy aside from the hamstring that's bothering him right now. You know, this is a guy who is, has incredible motivation to earn his next contract, and the Titans can take advantage of that. You know, I've, I've been highly critical of Corey Davis over the course of his uh, now four-year career with the Titans. And like you said, Buck, last night he was exceptional. Seven catches for over 100 yards wide open most of the time on those catches. He ran several really good routes to free himself up and give Tannehill some space. And what I'm, again, baby. What, what I'm so tired of with Davis is hearing over and over again, well, he's a good blocker, so it's okay. Well, guys, you don't draft receivers in the top five of the draft to block. That's what you draft tight ends for in the sixth round. And they need Corey Davis to not just be a run blocker for them. They need him to have more performances like last night. Now, you could go back and forth all day on the debate of, well, is Corey Davis not getting volume because the Titans are going elsewhere? Or is Corey Davis not getting volume because Corey Davis isn't that good? I don't know the answer to that question. We've seen him have performances like he did last night before. It's all about sustaining it in the future. And like you said, Teresa, this can't just be the A.J. Brown passing game because when that's the case, you start relying too much on a role player like Adam Humphreys, who is fantastic on third down, but you don't want him, you know, if A.J. Brown is getting shut down by someone like he was last night, like an A.J. Boye, you don't want Adam Humphreys to have to become the focal point of your offense. You don't want to have to overly rely on Darrington Evans whenever he comes back. You want to have another wide receiver option on the perimeter, and Davis gives them that if he can continue to step up and play like he did 
last night. Um, and I certainly think it's possible, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that he broke through last night and, and, and we saw what we needed to see in a contract year because we need to see it again and again and again. 15 times more. Yep. All right, Luke, you're up next. Well, you kind of stole mine. My good was going to be um, Really? Corey you Davis. talked about it like you hated it. <laughs> well, I, you know, he stood out so much last night, and, and so little did stand out last night. So I will give, uh, I'll give credit to Arthur Smith. I thought he called a pretty good game. You know, his players were kind of clunky, and it's not Arthur Smith's fault that guys were running into each other and the pass protection was constantly getting overwhelmed by Jarrell Casey and Bradley Chubb. Uh, I, I thought he did a nice job of, uh, of getting them down the field, of getting them into favorable situations. A couple of times he did a nice job of when, when Denver was sort of over-pursuing the Henry side of things, not even only through play action, but, I, but coming from someone that usually hates screen passes, I thought he did a nice job of of putting in some screens at appropriate times throughout the game last night. Um, and Tannehill made a comment. He was asked, you know, things didn't go so well tonight, what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. And Tannehill was like, well, we kind of got down into the red zone a lot. Uh, the problem was we just couldn't punch it in. Uh, so I thought even then, I thought they were pretty good. They, they were pretty successful in the red zone last night, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, they did. They scored what two touchdowns, if I remember and, right, and, and, and a field goal. So, yeah, the, the problem is, a couple of, I went back and checked a couple of those field goals, they got down to like the 24, the 29. So, not technically in the red zone, mm -hmm. but close enough where they should have had points. Yes. So I thought Arthur Smith called a good game last night. It wasn't necessarily his best, but uh, anyone who wondered would Arthur Smith revert back into the sort of play caller we saw him be at the beginning of the 2019 season, I think he's fine. I think he truly did develop and learn from his mistakes over the first half of 2019. And uh, uh, what you saw last night from him, at least the good, is probably what you're going to get more often than not. They're going to have a hard time keeping him hidden for much longer, too. I think Arthur Smith's got a future. Oh, you've got Peter King already raving about him a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely mm -hmm. going to be a challenge holding on to him after this season. But um, I will say this real quick, though. Um, the, what did we see? The face mask that uh, Mike Rabel wore on the plane on Sunday, run the ball. And that's what Arthur did last night. He stuck with the run game, even when they were maybe struggling for parts of that game, you know, doing much, they stuck with it. And like I said, even had a toss sweep inside the two minute drill. So, you know, that's the thing that we saw him do too much last year in that early period when they were struggling two and four is they get away from the run game and you have to keep Derrick Henry involved or you turn your quarterback into a pinata from def defenses looking to tee off. All right, put a bow on this positive segment, Teresa. What you got? Jadavian Clowney, a week ago, everyone's wondering, will he play? How many snaps can they get out of him? They got 47 snaps out of him. And, it, you know, they lined him up at the left side, the right side, DN. We saw that versatility. We saw that ability from Mike Vrabel to, to move him around that front multiplicity. And I think that that's only going to grow from them. We saw him disrupt and get after some, you know, the quarterback several times. And here's the thing. If they can just heal up at outside backers, if they can get Vic Beasley available on the field, if they can get Derek Roberson back and get that depth up, then I think we'll see him have a bigger effect as we move forward. 
In the AFC Championship, there were times where Mahomes was outside the pocket and you would see you know, Kamale Correa trying to chase him down. And I remember thinking to myself in those moments, I was like, oh, this is going to be a disaster for them, them being the Titans. But last night there were a couple times where Drew Locke, who was also an athletic quarterback, was getting to the perimeter. And instead of you know, a, a Kamale Correa or someone like that, you see Clowney chasing him down. And the thought then enters your head of, oh, dear, Drew Locke is about to get killed. And I think that's the biggest difference for them is, sure, Clowney doesn't have the greatest bend in the world and his sack numbers aren't great, but he can run and chase better than anybody else. And when you play against mobile quarterbacks, you have to do a lot of that. And we saw Harold Landry be a little bit more effective because he's got somebody to counter on the other side of this line. He didn't really have that for much of last year. Kamala Correa's, uh, what, seven sacks toward the end, notwithstanding. I'll come back to Harold Landry later on. What, what do you got on the negative side, Teresa? One negative thing from last night's performance. Well, I, I had to go with Goskowski in my yeah. personal post-game analysis because it was that horrific. Now, if you want something beyond that, the, the penalties. But I, I wanted to hammer that really hard at the end of the first quarter, and then they cleaned it up. You know, after four penalties for 33 yards in the first quarter, they corrected. There was one penalty the rest of the game. So, you know, a team that has been really good at not hurting themselves with penalties the last two seasons under Vrabel managed to find a way to pull themselves out of the ditch. So – uh, I, 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 but I'm still going to just, I mean, come on, Guskowski, 10 points, enough said. Luke? Yeah, I, I might not be endearing myself to Titans fans with this one because I'm going to call out one of their very favorites. My bad from last night was A.J. Brown. I did not think he rose to the occasion at all, especially early when A.J. Boye was in the game. We talked all offseason, all three of us and, and everyone else in, in this Titans media core about A.J. Brown taking the next step as a sophomore. And what I saw from him last night was the exact same player I saw as a rookie, someone who struggles against tight press man coverage and can't get away from top cornerbacks. You know, A.J. Brown had a field day with some guys that are probably borderline two, three cornerbacks. But when he faces the A.J. Boyes of the world, the Marshawn Lattimore's, you know, Marcus Peters, guys like that, he's nowhere to be found. And I don't know what it is if it's, you know, their physicality is keeping him down. But I think part of the reason why they went to Davis so much last night is because A.J. Brown wasn't getting open. Now, I haven't gone back and watched the game film to double check that but from what I saw watching the game last night um, that seemed to be apparent and and AJ Brown for as big as he is and as aggressively as he runs with the ball in his hands he is not physical at all at the catch point we saw that very early on in that first third down when Tannehill threw it to him and he did not come down with a catch that he really should have come down with being covered by A.J. Boye on the perimeter. And we saw it all the time when he was a rookie that, you know, if he's open and has space, he's going to catch everything you throw to him. It's not a problem with drops. But if he is, you know, manned up at all physically, he struggles. And, for again, for someone that big and who is that strong, I think uh, Titans fans and the Titans need to expect a lot more from someone that we expect at this point to be a premier receiver. 
That's really what stood out about that Jacksonville game last year in week three. A.J. Boye, the same matchup. He was just out physical. And, and the weather conditions were what they were. And he was having trouble down there uh, in the waterlogged city of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a very fair point, though. I think that Corey Davis, I think you're going to see a lot of that, though. I think A.J. Brown's going to attract a lot more attention. I think people are going to hit him over the head with it. And that's fair criticism about him at the catch point. Um, but it's a matter of whether Corey Davis can be any kind of consistent and be able to pick up that slack when A.J. Brown does draw that kind of attention. For me, it was just looking at the game on the whole. Teresa, you said Jadavion Clowney is a positive. I, I think that last – I think overall that will be the case, and I think there were, there were clear signs of people benefiting and the Titans benefiting – from his presence on the field. I think overall, though, he was not nearly as effective um, as he could have been had he known his assignments, had he spent more time with this team. There were opportunities for Jadavion Clowney to be more impactful than he was. And that's not to diminish his, you know, it's not to diminish him on the whole, because again, week one, it's, I don't think you know what kind of football team you have until at least a month into the season. I really don't. Uh, and Jadavion Clowney has plenty of room to grow, given that he just got here with the Tennessee Titans. But if you're going to be out on the field, the expectation should be that it's going to be more than just instinctual plays that you're going to make. Because he had a few very, very uh, – several very, very good plays that he made instinctually. Otherwise, they got him, they got him in vulnerable positions. Uh, playing at Denver is difficult because of altitude, the conditioning – we weren't sure where exactly he would be, and 47 snaps is nothing to slouch at, but they need more out of him. So I would have liked to have seen a more disciplined Jadavion Clowney. I think that's ultimately what everybody expects Mike Frabel to get out of him. It, could, it wasn't bad by any means, but I think it could be substantially better. Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's the thing. He, he's going to learn how to better communicate, understand that defense, and know what to do in concert with his teammates. And that's where they will be better because he'll be able to zig while Landry zags. And then you've got Simmons coming up underneath. And then you'll have Evans and Jayon Brown to help clean things up. So, you know, that's the thing. Considering that they were missing, you know, Rashawn Evans after the first uh, quarter, and, and he is still learning. You know, while there's carryover from having been with Vrabel in, the, in some of this defense in Houston, there's been some tweaks. You know, so, yes, as we go on, he should improve. I, I'm just, you know, for, for a guy who had a week and we did not know physically what we were getting, uh, you know, he had sports coronary surgery in January. And while the Titans won the bidding and felt confident in him from the videos we'd seen on social media, we now have a better idea that he looks really healthy and what he can actually do in this defense. I, I call it a preview of coming attractions, but he should get better in this defense moving forward. I, I agree. Week one NFL overreactions. It's in the books. We finally got through it. We'll see how far along we make it and we'll see if things remain on course. Cause I honestly, the NFL deserves a ton of credit for us making it to this point alone, given the global pandemic that rages around us. Week one NFL overreactions, though, from the league at large. We got most of Sunday, more Sunday than we usually get, to be able to consume the rest of what's going on in professional football. Luke, what is your biggest week one overreaction that you observed from Sunday's games? I'm going to go to your home state. I think the Colts stink. 
<laughs> that, that was not good. I don't and, think that's an overreaction. And, I think and I Phillip think, Rivers washed. I think the Jaguars are probably a little underrated. I mean, I started my game prep for this week today, and, you know, you look at their roster, and they're certainly not anywhere near the Titans level, but there's some talent. There's some good things they have. But I went back and watched a, a 12-minute condensed version of that game from Sunday of the, of the Colts and the Jaguars. And like you said, Buck, Phillip Rivers was, did not look good at all. It was the exact same quarterback we saw in Los Angeles in 2019, constantly dumping it off to the running back, drifting back in the pocket and throwing off his back foot, overshooting receivers down the field. And they're not going to get very far with that. And it's not like their other option, Jacoby Brissett, is a whole lot better. And, you know, they have some good pieces. DeForest Buckner on their defensive line. Darius Leonard's a good player. But it was not overly encouraging watching that team play on Sunday. There's just not a whole lot of juice on that roster. T.Y. Hilton's getting older. Marlon Mack is lost for the season they seem to prefer at least for now Naeem Hines over the rookie Jonathan Taylor um, there's not a whole lot to be excited about with that team if you're a Colts fan it's like the pandemic made us forget what Philip Rivers is Teresa that's the thing people I think thought that oh we'll, we'll take Philip Rivers and put him on this Colts team which has got all this talent Frank Reich is the quarterback whisperer and everything will be fine the problem is Philip Rivers kind of like that spoiled kid in a way. He's got some habits that were learned in San Diego with the Chargers that it's tough to break when you're a 39-year-old quarterback. And this worked for a big chunk of his career. You know, that running around, throwing off the back foot, he made it work for so long. And now you're 39, it's not that easy anymore. The perspective only a mother could provide. That's why we got that's why we got a wide-ranging array of guest co-hosts around here, Teresa Walker bringing the wisdom uh, that Philip Rivers is. You know, I mean, I think we all kind of knew that Philip Rivers, a little bit of a spoiled child based on the behavior out on the football field, but that's why I love him so much just as a personality. Uh, Teresa, what is your week one NFL overreaction that you took from Sunday and I guess Thursday slate? Tom Brady is not as bad as Jameis Winston. Uh, I mean, <laughs> just think about that for a second. Like, yeah. just everybody, everybody stop. Okay, just think about <laughs> what you said for a second. And where we, this is, this is the most 2020 thing I think I've experienced out of this podcast. Definitively, we can say that Tom Brady is not as bad as Jameis Winston. Expound. Well, that's the thing. He's in a Bucks uniform and he throws an interception. He throws a pick six. I wasn't the only one thinking, you know, that Jameis Winston on that Saint sideline had to be looking and thinking, bro, I did that, <laughs> you know. So, it, but here's the thing. I, I, opening in New Orleans when you haven't had a preseason, and, and here's the thing. Tom Brady has not played a ton of snaps in the preseason over the years. But as much as he got those guys together in the parks there around Tampa Bay, it's not the same thing as having at least a preseason game. So I do expect Tom Brady to be better than he was on Sunday. I still have my serious doubts of maybe he's getting close to the Philip Rivers edge that, you know, Father Time is calling and getting ready to yank you on the back of the neck. Uh, I'm still not ready to say he's, you know, completely awesome for the whole season, but he's no Jameis Winston. He is better than that. <laughs> well, and, and this is not the Bucks. The Bucks are not your typical, you know, off-season champions, we-look-good-on-paper team heading into the season. 
uh, because Tom Brady is not, you know, a like it's Tom Brady, right? He has six Super Bowl rings. He's the premier leader at the quarterback position in the NFL. They're going to get this figured out. Bruce Arians is one of the best coaches in the NFL, has been for years. Uh, they've just got so much talent, uh, not only that they added this year, but that they had incumbent heading into this season. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Levante David, uh, White, the linebacker. I mean, there's so much and there. Jonathan Sue, JPP, like they're stacked. Exactly, exactly. And Cam- they're going to figure it Blake. out. And, and let's not forget Byron Leftwich is the offensive coordinator, another offensive coordinator who should be getting calls uh, and interviews this next uh, time they're starting to fire, uh, hire new head coaches in the NFL. And it, it's not like they were playing the Detroit Lions or anything. They were playing a very popular Super Bowl pick in the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the New yes. Orleans Saints have been picked to lose in the Super Bowl for like the, ten, the last 10 years. Like I'm so over the New Orleans Saints experience just for them to poop their pants in like the NFC Championship game every year with this team. Anyway, speaking of every year with this team, get the Cleveland Browns the hell out of my life, Teresa. Baker <laughs> Mayfield stinks. They are a terrible team. I was told it was Fat Freddy's fault. Freddy Kitchens is the, uh, the root of all evil in Cleveland. It's an undisciplined football team because of Freddy Kitchens. And what do you know? It looks exactly the same. Now, listen, I understand that they opened with the Baltimore Ravens. Like, I totally get it. But also, it's the exact same problems that they have. You have just absolutely defeating drops by Odell Beckham Jr., who I don't know whether the uh, I don't know whether the off season or uh, uh, the rumors of what his sexual proclivities are are getting in his head in a way that caused him to play uh, in a way that resembles his favorite allegedly sex act. All of these things are just incredibly infuriating to me every time I see Baker Mayfield in a Hulu has live sports commercial. It's just enough, (laughs) enough of them already. They stink. Here's the challenge. They've added so many names and pieces that the assumption has been with this much talent, they should be good. But we're forgetting the fact that they're the Cleveland Browns. They're going to have to prove to us that they are good. And until then, just assume they're a 6-10, and 7-9 and nine team and be happy with that in Cleveland. And, and then, you know, the problem is, though, because of the talent, you know, pundits and prognosticators, prognosticators, excuse me, keep wanting to say, ooh, that I'm going to pick them and look like the smart person. I'm going to make them my wild card. I'm going to make them my AFC North winner. Come on, let's see them do something before they get to that point. I've seen them do plenty. I don't, I don't want to see them anymore. I'm over. It ain't good. That's for sure. Luke Warsham, Teresa Walker, kind enough to give us some of their time on a, what was an exhausting, uh, after an exhausting evening do we, do, we think, do we think Vrabel slept any from when we talked to him yes. last night to when we talked to him today? I don't think he did. He, maybe he grabbed a few winks on the plane, but, you know, he was pretty juiced when he came in and talked to us on that post-game Zoom. So, I, you know, it's tough for us as writers and in the media to calm down after a late-night game after we get filed. I don't know how athletes and coaches do it. Even, you know, but they did have the plane ride, so maybe that helped them. I don't know. I, I think he took a shower, threw in a chaw, and then came to the Zoom call. Like, I think that's how it went. <laughs> like, I just, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's football season. We're back. We're back. We're going to make it, guys. And we have an actual game to discuss. We have another one coming up on Sunday. And uh, we will speak again to our friends Luke Worsham of A to Z Sports and Teresa Walker of the Associated Press in the very near future here on the 615 Sessions podcast. Thanks for doing it, guys.
Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, Buck. Okay, five good minutes, week one edition, on Isaiah Wilson, the DUI arrest, the explanation of the reporting. You're going to hear from Mike Vrabel on that very subject here in just a minute. Before we do that, I'm going to tell you about the fine folks that present our Zoom line each and every week here on the podcast. That is GetBeast.com. Promo code, by the way, Beast2020, save you 20% off all of their fantastic grooming product offerings, Extreme Yop Beard Hair and Body Wash, Bar Soap, Wash for Everyone, the Aluminum Pump Beast Bottle that holds a six-month supply of any of their all-in-one washes, helps cut down on plastic waste, and honestly, pairs beautifully with the Wash for Everyone. I'm partial to the Tingle Shampoo. That's what's in my Aluminum Beast Bottle. But you can get all of these things from a local company that just wants you to groom boldly, wants you to smell better, wants you to take better care of yourself, if not for you, then for everybody else around you. Promo code BEAST2020 at checkout will save you 20% off at getbeast.com. Groom boldly, be a beast, courtesy of our friends at Tame the Beast. Okay, Isaiah Wilson. This has been an interesting situation that we've seen play out in front of us. Saturday feels like 18 years ago at the time that I reported this story that Isaiah Wilson had been arrested Friday night in Nashville with charges of a DUI. He bonded out of the Davidson County Sheriff's Department jail after two hours. He was reportedly out for margaritas while currently in the middle of his second COVID-19 reserve list stint. So he takes it upon himself to go out for a night for drinks and then decides to drive home. Not only does he decide to drive home based on the police report, he is doing donuts in the middle of Charlotte Pike at like 8.45 on a Friday night in Nashville. There are so many things here that are hugely problematic. Not just because, not I mean, notwithstanding the idea that this is somebody who's already been in trouble with law enforcement, if you want to call TSU campus police who busted up the party, or at least the gathering, if you don't want to call it a party, that he was out where he contemplated, according to our friend Paul Kaharski, jumping off a two-story balcony to try and evade the police. This is a situation where I got tipped off at like 6 in the morning on Saturday because a situation arose. My source had really, really great information, tipped me off, set me to chasing this thing down at 7.20, and by that time I had found the information where I was comfortable enough breaking the news that he had in fact been arrested. So we asked Mike Vrabel today, Tuesday, as we're taping this podcast, because this is the first opportunity. It's not the first opportunity that we've had to talk to Vrabel. We had a post-game Zoom last night. It took place at like 1.30 in the morning. We got the game stuff out of the way. And then today, when we have a little more time to work, we were able to address the Isaiah Wilson situation with Mike Vrabel. Here's Mike speaking on just what kind of person Isaiah Wilson is and what how they feel about him landing himself in trouble yet again. Yeah, I think that the, um, you know, we, we were comfortable with the person that we brought in here. 
and um, you know mistakes. You know, they're, they're, again, we've been through this. Me personally, obviously, um, kids being in college, you know, coaching in college. You know, there, there's there's good people that make mistakes, and and there's bad people. And I don't think that Isaiah is a bad person. I, I do think that uh, you know we, we part of what we do as coaches is to be able to you know get these guys to to help us and help the team win. But it's also about you know, helping them off the field and, and, and how their, their their growth and the maturity and the and the men that they become. Um, certainly, we're we're not um, we, we don't condone that type of behavior whatsoever. Um, it's unacceptable, but um, you know, as long as um, you know, there's an honest um, effort to to improve. You know, we're we're going to put forth. Uh, that effort as a coaching staff and as an organization, you know, help uh, help any player with, with have, you know, any issues that they have. And just on, on him, we don't really know him like we would say, no, a Tannehill or a Henry or a KB or somebody like that. What kind of kid is he? I, mean, I think that Isaiah is a, uh, you know, he's a good-hearted kid. He's a good-natured kid. He's been, you know, since the time that I've been with him. You know, he's, um, you know, been engaged, been engaged in the meetings, um, you know, but, but again, you know, having, having some setbacks um, and some adversity early on in, in, in any player's career can kind of go one of two ways. You know, you can, you can make some, some positive change and, 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 and kind of get this going or, or guys, you know, don't, and, and then they kind of fade away. But, um, you know, we're all going to face adversity, you know, in, in, any, in anything that we do in life. And this just happens to be with football and then the, you know, things that happen outside of it. Um, so hopefully we can, we can all come together and help and, and Isaiah can, can improve and, and start helping the football team. You know, I really do take Mike Vrabel at his word that this is not who Isaiah Wilson is that they obviously don't condone the behavior and that they want to try and salvage him for football purposes, obviously, but also for who he is as an individual. This seems like somebody who is deeply, deeply troubled since becoming an NFL player. He has not been any kind of factor when it comes to actual football. He was taking snaps behind Ty Sambreo, who was behind Dennis Kelly, on the practice field, looks to be out of shape, has spent not one but two stints on the COVID-19 list, and now they find themselves in a situation where they're trying to figure out whether this guy is emotionally stable enough to handle the rigors of being an NFL player. He put up a post on a private Instagram page that was very shortly after they're deleted but it found its way onto Twitter because screenshots are a thing and nobody's getting any way, away with any anything in 2020, much less with the way that social media works, where he's just essentially talking about how much he effing hates his life and how he's not himself right now. A very pensive, cross-legged picture of him fully padded, taken by the team, sitting but with these deeply concerning and very sad, to be completely honest with you, statements about where he is mentally. I don't know Isaiah Wilson. I'm not going to get to know Isaiah Wilson, certainly not over the course of this season, given what our restricted access is 
in 2020. Under any normal circumstance, I would be able to give you at least somewhat of a better read into who he is as an individual. We normally get 45 minutes of open locker room three days a week over the course of the regular season. That has absolutely been removed from us in a way with the Zoom calls, you just you simply cannot make up that one-to-one personal interaction that you know is why you cut you come to us as media. Well, this is we are there for access, and our access this year is less than it ever has been. So we don't know these rookies. I'm not going to get to know Jadavion Clowney unless he stays around here for another season or two or three, whatever the case may be, with that situation. Such is the nature of the pandemic and football. This year, all I will say to you, though, is that the people who are calling for him to be cut or released, it's not going to happen. They owe this guy. He, Isaiah Wilson, owes the team that drafted him, that made him a multi-million dollar athlete, that allowed him this opportunity that very, very few, the top 1% of these guys, have the opportunity to take part in. He owes them the duty of just doing his job. To this point, he has not. He has failed in almost every fashion. But the team also has a duty to Isaiah Wilson to try and figure out if they can help this guy, not just on the football field, but from an emotional perspective as well. Because he seems to be spiraling out spiraling out of control quickly, and fortunately, he did not hurt himself or anybody around him in a way that drunk driving normally would be indicative of. It's not five good minutes here on what should be a pretty feel-good day for you guys as Titans fans. It's a pretty sad situation, and at this point, looks like he's not going to be a factor for one reason or another in this 2020 season here on the 615 Sessions podcast. We're not going to bring down the mood anymore. You should be in a good mood despite whatever last night looks like. I think there are many, many opportunities for growth out of this team. I was very pleasantly surprised with the way that they finished out the second half of that game against Denver. And we're going to spend a lot more time discussing this leading up to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the home opener on Sunday at Nissan Stadium. Sands fans, who is going to join us? One of of many people who will join us, maybe not many people, but one of the several guests that we will have on Thursday's podcast is Gil Beverly, Vice President of the Titans in charge of marketing specifically. You've seen Titans hype all around town. Gil is going to talk about how they're trying to get younger, how they're trying to get people, at least my age, in their mid-20s, transplants here in Nashville, to engage with the local professional football team. Gil is going to provide some unique insight, especially ahead of what should be an incredibly hype time for a team coming off an AFC Championship appearance and a week one win that will be played in an empty stadium without fans as we sit here waiting for John Cooper to make a decision about the state of professional football in October. But Gil Beverly will be one of the guests that we will have on Thursday's 615 Sessions podcast. Shouts to the people who make this show free for you guys. you got to support the people who support this show. you got to support local business. you got to support Two Rivers Ford and Tame the Beast at GetBeast.com. They take care of us. They will take care of you if you allow them the opportunity to do so. you got to continue to rate, review, and subscribe to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. Five-star ratings is how you get your iTunes review, mailbag question, comment, or concern. 
read and answered at the end of the Thursday pod. We do that each and every week, but you have to leave those questions, comments, and concerns with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm excited to have football back in my life. I know you guys are excited to hear me talk about other things uh, that are not socially uh, socially driven and all of this. It's good to be able to harp on some of that stuff from time to time. But now that we have sports mercifully back in our lives, it can serve its primary function, which is to help distract us from all of our day-to-day ills. We have that back, and it is better than ever despite the pandemic. And we will look forward to talking talking about it here with you every Tuesday and Thursday here on the 615 Sessions Podcast. Stay safe, stay clean, and stay hot, Nashville. I will talk to you on Thursday on the 615 Sessions, powered by Two Rivers Ford. Brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. <laughs>